this is Marilyn Lightstone Reads Pride and Prejudice, the fifth book in our podcast series, Marilyn Lightstone Reads, featuring the acclaimed Canadian actress, television and radio host, Marilyn Lightstone. Now, without further ado, here is Marilyn to read us Jane Austen's original epic romance, Pride and Prejudice. Chapter 52 Elizabeth had the satisfaction of receiving an answer to her letter as soon as she possibly could. She was no sooner in possession of it than hurrying into the little copse, where she was least likely to be interrupted. She sat down on one of the benches and prepared to be happy, with the length of the letter convinced her that it did not contain a denial. Graystert Street, September 6th. My dear niece... I have just received your letter, and shall devote this whole morning to answering it, as I foresee that a little writing will not comprise what I have to tell you. I must confess myself surprised by your application. I did not expect it from you. Don't think me angry, however, for I only mean to let you know that I had not imagined such inquiries to be necessary on your side. If you do not choose to understand me, forgive my impertinence. Your uncle is as much surprised as I am, and nothing but the belief of your being a party concerned would have allowed him to act as he had done. But if you are really innocent and ignorant, I must be more explicit. On the very day of my coming home from Longbourn, your uncle had a most unexpected visitor— Mr. Darcy called, and was shut up with him several hours. It was all over before I arrived, so my curiosity was not so dreadfully racked as yours seems to have been. He came to tell Mr. Gardiner that he had found out where your sister and Mr. Wickham were, and that he had seen and talked with them both. Wickham repeatedly, Lydia once. From what I can collect— he left Derbyshire only one day after ourselves, and came to town with the resolution of hunting for them. The motive professed was his conviction of its being owing to himself that Wickham's worthlessness had not been so well known as to make it impossible for any young woman of character to love or confide in him. He generously imputed the whole to his mistaken pride— and confessed that he had before thought it beneath him to lay his private actions open to the world. His character was to speak for itself. He called it, therefore, his duty to step forward and endeavour to remember an evil which had been brought on by himself. If he had another motive, I am sure it would never disgrace him. He had been some days in town before he was able to discover them, but he had something to direct his search, which was more than we had, and the consciousness of this was another reason for his resolving to follow us. There is a lady, it seems, a Mrs. Young, who was some time ago governess to Miss Darcy, and was dismissed from her charge on some cause of disapprobation, though he did not say what— she then took a large house in Edward Street, and has since maintained herself by letting lodgings. This Mrs. Young was, he knew, intimately acquainted with Wickham, and he went to her for intelligence of him as soon as he got to town. But it was two or three days before he could get from her what he wanted. 
She would not betray her trust, I suppose, without bribery and corruption, for she really did know where her friend was to be found. Wickham, indeed, had gone to her on their first arrival in London, and had she been able to receive them into her house, they would have taken up their abode with her. At length, however, our kind friend procured the wished-for direction. He had their address. He saw Wickham, and afterwards insisted on seeing Lydia. His first object with her, he acknowledged, had been to persuade her to quit her present disgraceful situation and return to her friends as soon as they could be prevailed on to receive her, offering his assistance as far as it would go. But he found Lydia absolutely resolved on remaining where she was. She cared for none of her friends. She wanted no help of his. She would not hear of leaving Wickham. She was sure they would be married some time or other, and it did not much signify when. Since such were her feelings, it only remained, he thought, to secure and expedite a marriage, which in his very first conversation with Wickham he easily learned had never been his design. He confessed himself obliged to leave the regiment on account of some debts of honour, which were very pressing, and scrupled not to lay all the ill consequences of Lydia's flight on her own folly alone. He meant to resign his commission immediately, and as to his future situation, he could conjecture very little about it. He must go somewhere, but he did not know where, and he knew he should have nothing to live on. Mr. Darcy asked him why he had not married your sister at once. Though Mr. Bennet was not imagined to be very rich, he would have been able to do something for him, and his situation must have been benefited by marriage. But he found, in reply to this question, that Wickham still cherished the hope of more effectually making his fortune by marriage in some other country. Under such circumstances, however, he was not likely to be proof against the temptation of immediate relief. They met several times, for there was much to be discussed. Wickham, of course, wanted more than he could get, but at length was reduced to be reasonable. Everything being settled between them, Mr. Darcy's next step was to make your uncle acquainted with it, and he first called in Gracechurch Street the evening before I came home. But Mr. Gardner could not be seen, and Mr. Darcy found, on further inquiry, that your father was still with him, but would quit town the next morning. He did not judge your father to be a person whom he could so properly consult as your uncle, and therefore readily postponed seeing him till after the departure of the former. He did not leave his name, and till the next day it was only known that a gentleman had called on business. On Saturday he came again. Your father was gone, your uncle at home, and, as I said before, they had a great deal of talk together. They met again on Sunday, and then I saw him too. It was not all settled before Monday.' As soon as it was, the express was sent off to Longbourn. But our visitor was very obstinate. I fancy, Lizzie, that obstinacy is the real defect of his character, after all. He has been accused of many faults at different times, but this is the true one. 
nothing was to be done that he did not do himself. Though I am sure, and I do not speak it to be thanked, therefore say nothing about it, your uncle would most readily have settled the whole. They battled it together for a long time, which was more than either the gentleman or lady concerned in it deserved. But at last your uncle was forced to yield, and instead of being allowed to be of use to his niece, was forced to put up with only having the probable credit of it, which went sorely against the grain. And I really believe your letter this morning gave him great pleasure, because it required an explanation that would rob him of his borrowed feathers and give the praise where it was due. But, Lizzie, this must go no farther than yourself or Jane at most. You know pretty well, I suppose, what has been done for the young people. His debts are to be paid, amounting, I believe, to considerably more than a thousand pounds, another thousand in addition to her own settled upon her, and his commission purchased. The reason why all this was to be done by him alone was such as I have given above. It was owing to him to his reserve and want of proper consideration that Wickham's character had been so misunderstood, and consequently that he had been received and noticed as he was. Perhaps there was some truth in this, though I doubt whether his reserve or anybody's reserve can be answerable for the event. But in spite of all this fine talking, my dear Lizzie, you may rest perfectly assured— that your uncle would never have yielded if we had not given him credit for another interest in the affair. When all this was resolved on, he returned again to his friends, who were still staying at Pemberley, but it was agreed that he should be in London once more when the wedding took place, and all money matters were then to receive the last finish. I believe I have now told you everything. It is a relation which you tell me is to give you great surprise. I hope at least it will not afford you any displeasure. Lydia came to us, and Wickham had constant admission to the house. He was exactly what he had been when I knew him in Hertfordshire, but I would not tell you how little I was satisfied with her behavior while she stayed with us if I had not perceived— by Jane's letter, last Wednesday, that her conduct on coming home was exactly of a piece with it, and therefore what I now tell you can give you no fresh pain. I talked to her repeatedly in the most serious manner, representing to her all the wickedness of what she had done, and all the unhappiness she had brought on her family. If she heard me, it was by good luck, for I am sure she did not listen." I was sometimes quite provoked, but then I recollected my dear Elizabeth and Jane, and for their sakes had patience with her. Mr. Darcy was punctual in his return, and, as Lydia informed you, attended the wedding. He dined with us the next day, and was to leave town again on Wednesday or Thursday. Will you be very angry with me, my dear Lizzie, if I take this opportunity of saying— but I was never bold enough to say before, how much I like him. His behavior to us has, in every respect, been as pleasing as when we were in Derbyshire. His understanding and opinions all please me. 
He wants nothing but a little more liveliness, and that, if he marry prudently, his wife may teach him. I thought him very sly. He hardly ever mentioned your name. But slyness seems the fashion. Pray forgive me if I have been very presuming, or at least do not punish me so far as to exclude me from P. I shall never be quite happy till I have been all round the park. A low phaeton with a nice little pair of ponies would be the very thing. But I must write no more. The children have been wanting me this half hour. Yours very sincerely, M. Gardner. The contents of this letter threw Elizabeth into a flutter of spirits, in which it was difficult to determine whether pleasure or pain bore the greatest share. The vague and unsettled suspicions which uncertainty had produced of what Mr. Darcy might have been doing to forward her sister's match, which she had feared to encourage as an exertion of goodness too great to be probable, and at the same time dreaded to be just— from the pain of obligation, were proved beyond their greatest extent to be true. He had followed them purposely to town. He had taken on himself all the trouble and mortification attendant on such a research, in which supplication had been necessary to a woman whom he must abominate and despise, and where he was reduced to meet frequently meet, reason with, persuade, and finally bribe the man whom he always most wished to avoid, and whose very name it was punishment to him to pronounce. He had done all this for a girl whom he could neither regard nor esteem. Her heart did whisper that he had done it for her. But it was a hope shortly checked by other considerations, and she soon felt that even her vanity was insufficient, when required, to depend on his affection for her, for a woman who had already refused him, as able to overcome a sentiment so natural as abhorrence against relationship with Wickham. Brother-in-law of Wickham! Every kind of pride must revolt from the connection— he had, to be sure, done much. She was ashamed to think how much, but he had given a reason for his interference, which asked no extraordinary stretch of belief. It was reasonable that he should feel he had been wrong. He had liberality, and he had the means of exercising it and though she would not place herself as his principal inducement, she could perhaps believe that remaining partiality for her might assist his endeavours in a cause where her peace of mind must be materially concerned. It was painful, exceedingly painful, to know that they were under obligations to a person who could never receive a return. They owed the restoration of Lydia, her character, everything, to him. Oh, how heartily did she grieve over every ungracious sensation she had ever encouraged, every saucy speech she had ever directed towards him. For herself she was humbled, but she was proud of him, proud that in a cause of compassion and honour 
he had been able to get the better of himself. She read over her aunt's commendation of him again and again. It was hardly enough, but it pleased her. She was even sensible of some pleasure, though mixed with regret, on finding how steadfastly both she and her uncle had been persuaded that affection and confidence subsisted between Mr. Darcy and herself. She was roused from her seat and her reflections by someone's approach, and before she could strike into another path, she was overtaken by Wickham. "'I am afraid I interrupt your solitary ramble, my dear sister,' said he as he joined her. "'You certainly do,' she replied with a smile. "'But it does not follow that the interruption must be unwelcome.' "'I should be sorry indeed if it were. "'We were always good friends, and now we are better.' "'True. Are the others coming out?' "'I do not know. "'Mrs. Bennet and Lydia are going in the carriage to Meryton. "'And so, my dear sister, I find from our uncle and aunt "'that you have actually seen Pemberley.' "'She replied in the affirmative. "'I almost envy you the pleasure, "'and yet I believe it would be too much for me.' or else I could take it in my way to Newcastle. And you saw the old housekeeper, I suppose. Ah, oh, poor Reynolds. She was always very fond of me. But, of course, she did not mention my name to you. Yes, she did. Oh, and what did she say? That you were gone into the army, and she was afraid had not turned out well. At such a distance as that, you know, things are strangely misrepresented. "'Oh, certainly,' he replied, biting his lips. Elizabeth hoped she had silenced him, but he soon afterwards said, "'I was surprised to see Darcy in town last month. "'We passed each other several times. "'I wonder what he can be doing there.' "'Perhaps preparing for his marriage with Mr. Berg,' said Elizabeth. "'It must be something particular to take him there at this time of year.' "'Undoubtedly.' "'Did you see him while you were at Lambton? "'I thought I understood from the gardeners that you had. "'Yes, he introduced us to his sister. "'Ah, and do you like her? "'Very much. "'I have heard, indeed, that she is uncommonly improved within this year or two. "'When I last saw her, she was not very promising. "'I am very glad you liked her. "'I hope she will turn out well. "'I dare say she will.' "'She has got over the most trying age. "'Did you go by the village of Kimpton? "'I do not recollect that we did. "'I mention it because it is the living which I ought to have had. "'A most delightful place. "'Excellent parsonage house. "'It would have suited me in every respect. "'How should you have liked making sermons?' Oh, exceedingly well. I should have considered it as part of my duty, and the exertion would soon have been nothing. One ought not to repine. But, to be sure, it would have been such a thing for me. The quiet, the retirement of such a life would have answered all my ideas of happiness. But, ah, uh, it was not to be. Did you ever hear Darcy mention the circumstance when you were in Kent? I have heard from authority, which I thought as good, that it was left you conditionally only, and at the will of the present patron. Oh, you have. <laughs> ah, yes, there was something in that. I told you so from the first, you may remember. I 
did hear, too, that there was a time when sermon-making was not so palatable to you as it seems to be at present, that you actually declared your resolution of never taking orders, and that the business had been compromised accordingly. Oh, you did. <laughs> and it was not wholly without foundation. You remember what I told you on that point, when first we talked of it. They were now almost at the door of the house, for she had walked fast to get rid of him, and unwilling, for her sister's sake, to provoke him. She only said in reply, with a good-humoured smile, "'Come, Mr. Wickham, we are brother and sister, you know. Do not let us quarrel about the past. In future I hope we shall be always of one mind.' She held out her hand. He kissed it with affectionate gallantry, though he hardly knew how to look. And they entered the house. Chapter 53 Mr. Wickham was so perfectly satisfied with this conversation that he never again distressed himself or provoked his dear sister Elizabeth by introducing the subject of it, and she was pleased to find that she had said enough to keep him quiet. The day of his and Lydia's departure soon came and Mrs. Bennet was forced to submit to a separation which, as her husband by no means entered into her scheme of their all going to Newcastle, was likely to continue at least a twelve-month. "'Oh, my dear Lydia,' she cried, "'when shall we meet again?' "'Oh, Lord, I don't know. Not these two or three years, perhaps. Oh, write to me very often, my dear.' "'As often as I can. "'But you know married women have never much time for writing. "'My sisters may write to me. "'They will have nothing else to do.' "'Mr. Wickham's adieus were much more affectionate than his wife's. "'He smiled, looked handsome, and said many pretty things. "'He is as fine a fellow,' said Mr. Bennet, "'as soon as they were out of the house, as ever I saw. "'He simpers and smirks and makes love to us all.' I am prodigiously proud of him. I defy even Sir William Lucas himself to produce a more valuable son-in-law. The loss of her daughter made Mrs. Bennet very dull for several days. I often think, said she, that there is nothing so bad as parting with one's friends. One seems so forlorn without them. Well, this is the consequence, you see, madam, of marrying a daughter, said Elizabeth. "'It must make you better satisfied that your other four are single. "'It is no such thing. "'Lydia does not leave me because she is married, "'but only because her husband's regiment happens to be so far off. "'If that had been nearer, she would not have gone so soon.' "'But the spiritless condition which this event threw her into "'was shortly relieved, "'and her mind opened again to the agitation of hope "'by an article of news which then began to be in circulation. "'The housekeeper at Netherfield "'had received orders to prepare for the arrival of her master, "'who was coming down in a day or two "'to shoot there for several weeks.' Mrs. Bennet was quite in the fidgets. She looked at Jane and smiled and shook her head by turns. Well, and so Mr. Bingley is coming down, sister, for Mrs. Phillips first brought her the news. Well, so much the better. Not that I care about it, though. 
He is nothing to us, you know, and I am sure I never want to see him again. But, however, he is very welcome to come to Netherfield if he likes it, and who knows what may happen. But that is nothing to us. You know, sister, we agreed long ago never to mention a word about it. And so, is it quite certain he is coming? You may depend on it. "'replied the other, for Mrs. Nichols was in marriage in last night. "'I saw her passing by and went out myself on purpose to know the truth of it, "'and she told me that it was certain true. "'He comes down on Thursday at the latest, very likely on Wednesday. "'She was going to the butcher, she told me, on purpose to order in some meat on Wednesday, "'and she had got three couple of ducks just fit to be killed.' Miss Bennet had not been able to hear of his coming without changing colour. It was many months since she had mentioned his name to Elizabeth, but now, as soon as they were alone together, she said, "'I saw you look at me today, Lizzie, when my aunt told us of the present report, and I know I appear distressed, but don't imagine it was from any silly cause.' I was only confused for the moment because I, I felt that I, I should be looked at.' I do assure you that the news does not affect me either with pleasure or pain. I am glad of one thing, that he comes alone, because we shall see the less of him. Not that I am afraid of myself, but I dread other people's remarks. Elizabeth did not know what to make of it. Had she not seen him in Derbyshire, she might have supposed him capable of coming there with no other view than what was acknowledged. But... She still thought him partial to Jane, and she wavered as to the greater probability of his coming there with his friend's permission, or being bold enough to come without it. Yet it is hard, she sometimes thought, that this poor man cannot come to a house which he has legally hired without raising all this speculation. I will leave him to himself." In spite of what her sister declared, and really believed to be her feelings in the expectation of his arrival, Elizabeth could easily perceive that her spirits were affected by it. They were more disturbed, more unequal, than she had often seen them. The subject, which had been so warmly canvassed between their parents about a twelve-month ago, was now brought forward again. "'As soon as ever Mr. Bingley comes, my dear,' said Mrs. Bennet. You will wait on him, of course. No, no. You forced me into visiting him last year, and promised if I went to see him that he should marry one of my daughters. But it ended in nothing, and I will not be sent on a fool's errand again. His wife represented to him how absolutely necessary such an attention would be from all the neighboring gentlemen on his returning to Netherfield. Tis an etiquette I despise, said he. "'If he wants our society, let him seek it. "'He knows where we live. "'I will not spend my hours in running after my neighbours "'every time they go away and come back again. "'All I know is that it will be abominably rude "'if you do not wait on him. "'But, however, that shan't prevent my asking him to dine here. "'I am determined. "'We must have Mrs. Long and the Goldings soon. "'That will make thirteen with ourselves, "'so there will be just room at table for him.' 
Consoled by this resolution, she was the better able to beat her husband's incivility, though it was very mortifying to know that her neighbors might all see Mr. Bingley, in consequence of it, before they did. As the day of his arrival drew near, "'I begin to be sorry that he comes at all,' said Jane to her sister. "'It, it would be nothing. I, I could see him with perfect indifference, but—' "'but I can hardly bear to hear it thus perpetually talked of. "'My mother means well, but she does not know, "'no one can know, how much I suffer from what she says. "'Happy shall I be when his stay at Netherfield is over. "'I wish I could say anything to comfort you,' replied Elizabeth, "'but it is wholly out of my power.' You must feel it, and the usual satisfaction of preaching patience to a sufferer is denied me, because you have always so much. Mr. Bingley arrived. Mrs. Bennet, through the assistance of servants, contrived to have the earliest tidings of it that the period of anxiety and fretfulness on her side might be as long as it could. She counted the days that must intervene before their invitation could be sent. "'hopeless of seeing him before. "'But on the third morning after his arrival in Hertfordshire, "'she saw him from her dressing-room window "'enter the paddock and ride toward the house. "'Her daughters were eagerly called to partake of her joy. "'Jane resolutely kept her place at the table, "'but Elizabeth, to satisfy her mother, went to the window. "'She looked. "'She saw Mr. Darcy with him.' and sat down again by her sister. "'There is a gentleman with him, Mamma," said Kitty. "'Who can it be?' "'Oh, some acquaintance or other, my dear, I suppose. I'm sure I do not know.' "'Oh, la!' replied Kitty. "'It looks just like that man that used to be with him before. Mr. Mr. What's-his-name, that, that tall, proud man.' "'Good gracious! Mr. Darcy! And so it does, I vow!' Oh. "'Well, any friend of Mr. Bingley's will always be welcome here, to be sure. "'But else I must say that I hate the very sight of him.' "'Jane looked at Elizabeth with surprise and concern. "'She knew but little of their meeting in Derbyshire, "'and therefore felt for the awkwardness which must attend her sister "'in seeing him almost for the first time after receiving his explanatory letter. "'Both sisters were uncomfortable enough.' Each felt for the other, and of course for themselves, and their mother talked on of her dislike of Mr. Darcy, and her resolution to be civil to him only as Mr. Bingley's friend, without being heard by either of them. But Elizabeth had sources of uneasiness, which could not be suspected by Jane, to whom she had never yet had courage to show Mrs. Gardiner's letter, or to relate her own change of sentiment towards him. To Jane, he could be only a man whose proposal she had refused, and whose merit she had undervalued, but to her own more extensive information. He was the person to whom the whole family were indebted for the first of benefits, and whom she regarded herself with an interest, if not quite so tender, at least as reasonable and just as what Jane felt for Bingley. Her astonishment at his coming, at his coming to Netherfield, to Longbourn, and voluntarily seeking her again, was almost equal to what she had known on first witnessing his altered behavior in Derbyshire. 
The color which had been driven from her face returned for half a minute with an additional glow, and a smile of delight added luster to her eyes as she thought for that space of time that his affection and wishes must still be unshaken. But she would not be secure. Let me see first how he behaves, said she. It will then be early enough for expectation. She sat intently at work, striving to be composed, and without daring to lift up her eyes, till anxious curiosity carried them to the face of her sister as the servant was approaching the door. Jane looked a little paler than usual, but more sedate than Elizabeth had expected. On the gentleman's appearing, her color increased, yet she received them with tolerable ease and with a propriety of behavior equally free from any symptoms of resentment or any unnecessary complacence. Elizabeth said as little to either as civility would allow, and sat down again to her work with an eagerness which it did not often command. She had ventured only one glance at Darcy. He looked serious, as usual, and, she thought, more as he had been used to look in Hertfordshire than as she had seen him at Pemberley. But perhaps he could not in her mother's presence be what he was before her uncle and aunt. It was a painful but not an improbable conjecture. Bingley she had likewise seen for an instant, and in that short period saw him looking both pleased and embarrassed. He was received by Mrs. Bennet with a degree of civility which made her two daughters ashamed, especially when contrasted with the cold and ceremonious politeness of her curtsy and address to his friend. Elizabeth particularly, who knew that her mother owed to the latter the preservation of her favorite daughter from irremediable infamy, was hurt and distressed to a most painful degree by a distinction so ill-applied. Darcy, after inquiring of her how Mr. and Mrs. Gardiner did, a question which he could not answer without confusion, said scarcely anything. He was not seated by her. Perhaps that was the reason of his silence, but it had not been so in Derbyshire. There he had talked to her friends, when he could not to herself. But now several minutes elapsed without bringing the sound of his voice, and when occasionally— Unable to resist the impulse of curiosity, she raised her eyes to his face. She as often found him looking at Jane as at herself, and frequently on no object but the ground. More thoughtfulness and less anxiety to please than when they last met were plainly expressed. She was disappointed and angry with herself for being so. Oh, could I expect it to be otherwise? said she. Yet why did he come? She was in no humor for conversation with anyone but himself, and to him she had hardly courage to speak. She inquired after his sister, but could do no more. Oh, it is a long time, Mr. Bingley, since you went away, said Mrs. Bennet. He readily agreed to it. I began to be afraid you would never come back again. People did say you meant to quit the place entirely at Michaelmas, but, however, I hope it is not true. 
A great many changes have happened in the neighborhood since you went away. Miss Lucas is married and settled, and one of my own daughters. I suppose you have heard of it. Indeed, you must have seen it in the papers. It was in the Times and the Courier. I know, though it was not put in as it ought to be. It was only said, lately, George Wickham, Esquire, to Miss Lydia Bennet, without there being a syllable said of her father, or, or the place where she lived, or, or anything. It was my brother Gardner's drawing up, too, and I wonder how he came to make such an awkward business of it. Did you see it? Bingley replied that he did, and made his congratulations. Elizabeth dared not lift up her eyes. How Mr. Darcy looked, therefore, she could not tell. "'It is a delightful thing, to be sure, to have a daughter well married,' continued her mother. "'But at the same time, Mr. Bingley, it is very hard to have her taken such away from me. They are gone down to Newcastle, a place quite northward, it seems, and there they are to stay. I do not know how long. His regiment is there.' "'for I suppose you have heard of his leaving his former regiment "'and of his being gone into the regulars. Oh, "'Thank heavens! He has some friends, "'though not perhaps so many as he deserves.' "'Elizabeth, who knew this to be levelled at Mr. Darcy, "'was in such misery of shame "'that she could hardly keep her seat. "'It drew from her, however, the exertion of speaking, "'which nothing else had so effectually done before, "'and she asked Bingley whether he meant to make any stay in the country at present. "'A few weeks, he believed. "'When you have killed all your own birds, Mr. Bingley,' said her mother, "'I beg you will come here and shoot as many as you please on Mr. Bennet's manor. "'I'm sure he will be vastly happy to oblige you "'and will save all the best of the coveys for you.' Elizabeth's misery increased at such unnecessary, such officious attention. Were the same fair prospect to arise at present as had flattered them a year ago, everything, she was persuaded, would be hastening to the same vexatious conclusion. At that instant, she felt that years of happiness could not make Jane or herself amends for moments of such painful confusion. The first wish of my heart said she to herself, is never more to be in company with either of them. Their society can afford no pleasure that will atone for such wretchedness as this. Oh, let me never see either one or the other again. Yet the misery, for which years of happiness were to offer no compensation, received soon afterwards material relief from observing how much the beauty of her sister rekindled the admiration of her former lover. When first he came in, he had spoken to her but little, but every five minutes seemed to be giving her more of his attention. He found her as handsome as she had been last year, as good-natured and as unaffected, though not quite so chatty. Jane was anxious that no difference should be perceived in her at all, and was really persuaded that she talked as much as ever— but her mind was so busily engaged that she did not always know when she was silent. When the gentleman rose to go away, Mrs. Bennet was mindful of her intended civility, and they were invited and engaged to dine at Longbourn in a few days' time. "'You are quite a visit in my debt, Mr. Bingley,' 
she added, for when you went to town last winter, you promised to take a family dinner with us as soon as you returned. I have not forgot, you see, and I assure you, I was very much disappointed that you did not come back and keep your engagement. Bingley looked a little silly at this reflection, and said something of his concern at having been prevented by business. They then went away. Mrs. Bennet had been strongly inclined to ask them to stay and dine there that day, but, though she always kept a very good table, she did not think anything less than two courses could be good enough for a man on whom she had such anxious designs, or satisfy the appetite and pride of one who had ten thousand a year. Thanks for listening to this episode of Marilyn Lightstone Reads Pride and Prejudice. This episode was produced by Justin Eacock, executive producer Moses Neimer. This is our fifth book in our Marilyn Lightstone Reads podcast. We invite you to go back and listen to Marilyn read The Age of Innocence, Anne of Green Gables, Jane Eyre, and A Christmas Carol. Also, you can help support this podcast by recommending it to your friends and leaving a five-star review in either iTunes or Google. And while you're there, look for a variety of other quality podcasts proudly presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.